0: This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property.
1: Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove. Major brands regularly experience crisis and make the news for alleged fundamental rights violations or similar breaches with high social stakes. Think racial discrimination, privacy and data breaches, sexual harassment at the workplace, or even life-threatening health hazards such as food poisoning. This episode sheds light on brand crisis management, the impact of such crises on brand value and intellectual property assets, as well as the solutions and good practices of proactive and remediation plans. Our guest, Shep Eichen, is Chief Amazement Officer at Shepherd Presentations, St. Louis, Missouri, USA. Shep is a customer service and experience expert, best-selling business author, and regular contributor to the Leadership Strategy section at Forbes.com. He explains and illustrates the spectrum of brand crises and the different ways, good and bad, to handle them. Shep, thank you very much for joining us today at Brand New. How would you define the notion of brand crisis? And do you believe the thresholds for what constitutes a crisis has moved over the last decades?
2: Well, a brand crisis is anything that's going to reflect negatively on the brand. And the definition of a crisis can range from just my customer base finding out about something that's you know, gone bad, or it could be something that goes viral that makes national, if not even international attention. Um, as I prepared for the interview, I thought a lot about the different brand crises that have hit over the years. I actually re- remember going back many, many years ago to 1983, I believe, when Tylenol, the, you know, the pain-killing drug mm-hmm. that is Uh, was manufactured by McNeil Consumer Products, who is owned by or was owned by Johnson & Johnson. But what happened, it became a crisis when somebody actually tainted the Tylenol drug. They actually took drugs, poisoned them, put them back on the shelf. That created a brand crisis. We can talk about that in a little while. Uh, A data breach, uh, you know, where all the data and social security numbers and bank account information is breached, you know, that's a brand crisis. Uh, You mentioned racial discrimination. About a year and a half ago, what happened at Starbucks in Philadelphia uh, was racial discrimination. And how Starbucks handled it was amazing. So there's a number of levels uh, that brand crisis has hit. But what's interesting is, you know, there's a legal side of it. Uh, Why don't we sometimes react the way we should? We're worried about legal ramifications. We're worried about uh, saying we're at fault for fear we'll be sued. Uh, We're worried about saying the wrong thing for fear it will be taken the wrong way because many times these crises require a response.
1: Companies sometimes go through series of tough crises and still manage to survive. For instance, a restaurant chain had some rough time over the last years to the point of having become the poster child of brand crisis management. Can we assess the impact of brand crises? Can they have a long-term impact for you, on brand valuation, or do you rather believe all brands can ultimately recover if the crisis is properly handled?
2: So uh, that, that's a great question, and I think we've seen that properly handled, the brand can come back. With Chipotle, yes, 82% uh, decrease in their profits, which meant that they were still profitable, If I go to this restaurant, I might get a disease that could kill me. I don't know if I want to go to that restaurant anymore. So how did they handle it? It was fascinating to watch. I'd say the one word that describes better than anything was transparency. And I'll add an adjective before it, total transparency. They did everything they could to educate the consumer on what had happened, why it happened, and what they were doing to fix it. And it took a long time to build that confidence back up but they in fact did so. That's the difference in the way brands handle things. I mean, some of them are very concerned and hold back. You know, I look at even, even scandals where the brands of actors and, and recording artists, uh, what happens is when they come out right away with a response to the allegation or the scandal, it goes away so much quicker. If the public and the media have a chance to exploit it and spend a lot of time on it, it will get bigger and bigger, and it will gain momentum as a bigger and bigger problem.
1: With the digital transformation, uh, companies are more and more relying on outsourced, decentralized online global solutions to manage their operations, thus increasing their exposure to cyber threats such as intellectual property theft or data leak. Are intellectual property assets more at risk for you than other company assets? And why is that?
2: Things that are owned by a company and that is their property. And for somebody to steal that and go to use it, you know, you sometimes can't truly assess what the damage is. If somebody stole something and, you know, a few years later, It's discovered this is how, you know, they came upon this information. This is how they started to become more successful because they stole it from someone else. It's very difficult often to determine the damage because uh, the damage is business that's lost and regardless of what happens, you know, as far as a brand crisis, if somebody takes the information and doesn't use it the right way and it ends up reflecting back on the brand, it's just a bigger mess. So, while I'm not a lawyer, even though I jokingly play one on TV, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say that when you have, you know, and there were a couple of of comments with or, or questions within this big question, you know, we have something that's due to uh, intellectual property, where that's maybe a little bit different than a cyber attack that grabs data, and you know, when we're using online global solutions. Especially from third parties. They have to have protection in place. They have to have insurance in place. They also, also a, a savvy company that's engaging will want to know what is the process should there be a breach? Give me some examples of how you've protected your customers in the past to prevent this from happening.
1: Not unrelated to my previous questions. We all have in mind a uh, live status or footage of events that's by spreading on social media, and you mentioned that, Chep, uh, triggered major brand and company crisis. Mm -hmm. We remember all too well the video of the passengers being carried out uh, of this plane that you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, To what extent social media play a particular role in amplifying brand crisis, or even by placing brands in a constant state of attack?
2: Here's a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, number one, you are no longer able to hide from social media. If you are a, a company that has a frontline presence with customers, a public presence, be it an airline, a restaurant, a retail store, anything, there is a chance that you are going to be caught on social media doing either good or bad things, not just bad, but you could be caught doing the right thing. And that's beautiful PR. That's wonderful when somebody takes out. And by the way, everybody now in the world who has a cell phone is like their own little media company. Yeah. <laughs> They're their own little news station, depending upon how many people follow them. You know, they can post a video on their Facebook page or their, their Twitter account or on Instagram. It becomes viral uh, there's lots of good things and lots of bad things. About a year and a half ago, Starbucks in Philadelphia, uh, two uh, African-American gentlemen were arrested because they were waiting for a friend. The manager thought they were just sitting there and not ordering anything. and rather, And they didn't leave when they were asked to leave because they said they were waiting for a friend. She called the police and they came and arrested these guys. And as they were walking out, their friend came in. Well, this was caught on... Social media, uh, because customers in the store had a video camera in their pocket. And the way that Starbucks handled it was crisis management 101, perfection. They nailed it. Howard Schultz, the CEO, he's on the other side of the country, finds out about out about this incident almost immediately, and at that moment uh, makes a statement, a public statement. Gets in a plane, heads up out to Philadelphia. The next morning dealing with the press he owned the situation he acknowledged apologized discussed what a resolution might be he didn't confirm that's what it would be and ultimately they had a great resolution uh he owned it he took responsibility not for the individual's actions but he said this isn't the way we do it at starbucks i'm going to find out why this happened i'm going to figure out what's going on i'm going to get to the bottom of this he did not cast blame on others. As soon as you cast blame on others, you start to lose control over the situation because you're not willing to own the responsibility. And number five, and this is really important, in all of these breaches and all of these problems, uh, he acted with urgency. He took it to the quickest, fastest way to resolve the issue. And by the way, the ultimate resolution that he had, and he said it's not the final resolution, but what they came up with is a couple of months later, they shut down the entire North American operation for several hours, had every employee of Starbucks go to their store and go through racial sensitivity training. This is extremely powerful. He said, I know that we're going to have incidents like this in the future, but what we can do to, if not eliminate them, at least... Cut down on him. We need to prove that this isn't acceptable behavior. And he did an excellent job of doing that. You know what? At the end of it all, it was a crisis management managed so well that it, it the, the PR effect was almost, uh, it was so much stronger than the negative effect. You don't want to create incidents like this on purpose, <laughs> but when it's done well, you know, it really makes the brand look right. And even Chipotle handled their crisis well. It took a lot longer But hey, lives were
0: at stake. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation.
1: While there's probably no one-size-fits-all solution. What are the different kinds of actions you would recommend considering to overcome a a brand reputation crisis? You you mentioned earlier offering total transparency on the events, presenting accountability and offering apologies, uh, making promises that the criticized conduct or events will not happen again, uh, sending non-disclosure agreements or taking actual remedial steps such as uh, staff training as you mentioned for Starbucks or, and implementing new policies uh, do you have any example of good practices you could share with us in addition to to the one that you, you just mentioned
2: right right so the you know when i mentioned and actually that I'll, I'll get even more specific with that you know mm-hmm. it's a five step process acknowledge and apologize and by the way, apology doesn't mean I'm sorry we were wrong. I'm sorry this happened. Mm-hmm. That's there's a big difference. I'm sorry that anybody would be injured, would you know, die, would any anything uh, apo- or acknowledge, apologize. And by the way, you can flip those two around. Okay, discuss the resolution whether it's going to happen right away or in the future take responsibility and ownership. Again, we talked about that. That's accountability. And you you start to give it away when, uh, and you start to lose control when you are trying to put up this wall and acting with urgency. That may be the one thing, you know, to emphasize that all the other things typically do happen. Oftentimes they don't happen fast enough. So when we're talking with our clients about how to deal with a small complaint from a customer, and it could be a tiny complaint, the five-step process kicks into place when you look at what the best brands did. Uh, I mentioned that Tylenol incident from 1983. They it might have been 82 actually, but they what they did is they immediately took responsibility. They pulled every bottle of Tylenol off the shelf nationally. And they said, how are we going to prevent this from happening again? Well, let's put some safety measures in place. By the way, I I think nobody blamed Tylenol for some uh, evil person tainting the drug. But what would happen to Tylenol if they said it isn't our fault? It was a criminal that did this? You know, It's going to be business as usual from this point forward, and we just hope it doesn't happen again. What would happen to the brand if that's all that they did? No, instead... Uh, They they took full responsibility, even to the point where it was painful for them. They had to pull all of this off the shelf and they put the medicine back on the shelf with the safety. You know, now when you open up your vitamins or any, many drugs that you buy over the counter, there's a piece of foil that's adhered. I mean, they're doing everything they could to prevent this from Mm -hmm. happening. Well, that's where it all started. And they actually created an industry practice as a result of how well they dealt with this crisis management. I did not go to school to study crisis management, but in my underst- I was just out of college about that time. But my understanding is that the way they handled it is now in many textbooks on how the best handle their crisis management. Uh, I had a client that was in the trucking business. They actually bought wheels, uh, and, and tires from a company and the tires were, um, uh, I guess uh, they were blowing out on the highway. They were, you know, they would become damaged as the truck was driving down the road. Now, when this happens and a tire uh, blows and it goes off of the vehicle, it actually accelerates faster than the vehicle is driving. So, if you can imagine a tire comes off the the truck that's moving on the highway at, at you know, 60 miles per hour or 100 kilometers uh, per hour, and all of a sudden it's like this. This, uh, tire shoots off in front and, and guess well, what? It hits whatever's in front of it. Uh, the company that sold the tires and the wheels to this particular trucking company said, you know what? We can't take the chance that that's going to happen again. We realized there's the tires where some of them aren't proper, aren't created right. They took every one of them off and replaced everyone in the entire fleet. Not just, they didn't just go inspect a few and say, oh, this was an isolated incident. They didn't want to take the chance. And I think that's what the best companies do. They step up and they do what's right. And I think in the B2B space, the business-to-business space, when you uh, step up and act like that, you start to be thought of not as a vendor, but as a partner. Yeah. Partnership is so much stronger than a vendor relationship because I know that my supplier are going to have my back when there's a problem.
1: Okay, at the end of the day, we are talking about trust. Shep, uh, why do we often think of crisis management In terms of remediation, uh, so after one has occurred, it really looks necessary for a company to develop crisis management skills using experts to gather adequate uh, resources proactively to ultimately raise awareness among staff and be ready in case things go wrong. Uh, What role can intellectual property uh, lawyers or legal department play in this context for you both before And after a brand crisis has happened uh, to protect the company's um, assets, such as trademarks, such as goodwill and its customer loyalty.
2: There have been many uh, crises that happen as a result of an employee doing something wrong. So, number one, we need to create a legal document uh, that employees sign and they agree to. And this uh, hopefully, and by the way, just just because you say you're not going to do this, we have to train employees what they can and can't do. Give you an example, uh, social media. There needs to be a a rule in place, but when it comes to certain issues internally inside a company, there must be a rule. Uh, If you are not uh, in the PR department, it's expected that you won't be posting public relations statements uh, about your company. Or fear that you'll post the wrong thing the wrong way, say it the wrong, and be, it becomes misinterpreted. And all of a sudden, you've got a crisis. And maybe it's somebody that shared something that shouldn't have been shared. Now you've got an even bigger situation. So you have to create these rules, if you will. And that comes in policies. And, and when you when you come on board with a company, you're asked to sign off on these things. But I think the company sometimes falls short when they don't train people properly in what they are not supposed to be doing. They may do a really great job of telling you what you can do, but they need to make it really clear on what you can't do. But when it comes to your trademarks, those are in control of the company. The company has the right to use them the way they want to use them. They need to let their employees as well as their customers know what they can and can't do.
1: Mm -hmm. If we had a crystal ball, What do you think will be tomorrow's biggest threats for brands? Any guess as to the risks brands should anticipate as more salient in the near future? Any technology or platform we should all be watching out more closely?
2: I think the biggest thing we need to look out for is that number one, lots of people, maybe most, have social media accounts. You have to understand that, that the customer is now in control and can exploit their positive and negative experiences. They can watch something happen, pull out their phone, film it, post it, and not only do their friends see it, but maybe a news station sees it, and they put it on the news, and then other news stations see it, and the next thing you know, the entire world knows about it. It's so important that we train everybody today to recognize that Shakespeare said it a long time ago, the world is a stage, right? And that's what it's become. The world is now uh, the potential as uh, a stage. And everybody is not just an actor, but they are also a media producer. So that's what I would say. If there's one thing that we have to be so careful of is to recognize we're in public. People can see what we're doing, not just there, but all around the world based on what we carry in our pockets. You know, the technologies and the ability to uh, make something appear as if it's not, to put uh, somebody's face on somebody else's body to get the words to come out of somebody's mouth that aren't the words that were spoken. You know, we've all been able to chop up, edit video, but we but now we're able to make digital changes that look real and we don't know sometimes if it's real or fake. And I believe that's a threat to any company and any individual's reputation.
1: Now I have a few rapid fire questions for you, Shep. Uh, sure. Could you, name, could you name a word that would summarize the last decade and the one you expect for the decade that is just beginning?
2: Wow. You know, I'm a customer service and experience guy. And I'm also a very optimistic guy. So a word that would summarize the last decade is, uh, and and I'll I, it's one word, experience. Companies have figured it out. The one that I think is gonna be important to the future is better experience. So we can hyphenate that. Even though it's two words, we'll hyphenate it and make it one. Uh, and, and my thinking behind it is, customers are smarter than ever before. And great companies have trained them on what great experiences are, and now they expect that from everyone. So it's gonna get better.
1: Where do you take inspiration from?
2: I, I look back at how I was raised, and I think that's, I was raised to do the right thing, I was raised to work hard. And I think back on those experiences, and I'm inspired by what my mentors have taught me.
1: What is the best piece of advice you have ever received?
2: When I first got into business, Somebody said, I'm I'm going to try to give you the shortest answer possible, but I decided to become a professional speaker. And the gentleman said to me, when you write your speech, you can do that at night. When you practice your speech, you can do it on the weekends. What you need to do during the week, during normal business hours is work at getting business. And to paraphrase that, the job isn't doing the speech, it's getting the speech. And you can take that statement and, and know that, hey, you know, the job isn't to make a product. It's to sell that product if you want it to be successful. So that's what my mentor was teaching me. The job isn't doing the speech. It's getting the speech.
1: The last book you read.
2: So I read lots of business books. I usually do two to three business books and I intersperse, a, uh, intersperse like a novel and a fun book to read. Uh, but the last book I read was titled Content 10X.
1: What would you have liked to invent or to create?
2: How about this? The internet. Let's make it big.
1: Thank you very much, Seth.
2: My pleasure. Great questions. Thanks for having me on your show.
1: My guest today is Shepa Aiken, the Chief Amazement Officer at Shepard Presentations.
0: Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www dot, I-N-T-A dot O-R-G.